Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features a mystery short story with a western slant, A Confluence in Time, written by Revis Z. Wortham. It's read by local actor Ian Jones. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the closing of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. Sonny, I razzed up the sound of my old daddy's voice, wondering why he claimed it was Sonny when the room was dim. As my wits returned, I realized I was in a hospital bed, hooked up to an IV and a flashing monitor. Everything was fuzzy, and I blinked to clear my eyes. My mouth was dry, and when I spoke, the sound was sticky, raspy. What's Sonny? I was trying to wake you up. Well, you did. My eyes closed, and I felt like I was floating on the surface of a stock pond. Sleep nearly took me under the surface again. Can I get a drink? A straw tapped my lips, and I swallowed the sweetest water I'd ever tasted. I listened to him rustle as he sat back down near the head of the bed. Why am I in the hospital? Car wreck? He was silent for several beats. You don't remember, son? I dug around in my mental files for several seconds, but came up with nothing. I was on patrol. Stopped for coffee. I'm a state trooper for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Most people call us the Texas Highway Patrol. That's right. A memory returned. Where's Kelly? She'd been right here beside you for three days. Wouldn't hardly move while they kept you sedated. But I finally sent her home to shower and get some sleep. You sent her home so you could wake me up yourself. That sounded like the old man, who'd served as a Texas Ranger for decades. Now retired, he spent most of his time aggravating me instead of the bad guys. Partly. But we've been trying to wake you up for the past 12 hours. You were on some pretty strong stuff, and it takes a while to get out of your system. So, what happened? You were shot, son. My breath hitched at the flood of memories that swept me away. Stationed out of the DPS building on I-30 in Garland, I was a young officer patrolling the part of the interstate that stretched from Dallas on eastward through Mesquite and Garland, then across the Ray Hubbard Bridge and on into Rockwall. It was nearly nine in the evening when I pulled into the stop-and-go to get a cup of coffee in an effort to stay awake. I hadn't been sleeping good, because I was going through the exam process for a transfer to the Rangers, and my oral board was coming up in a couple of days. I've always been a good cop, and a better trooper, and always knew exactly what to do in all situations, so far. But for some reason, the thought of sitting across from a panel of experienced rangers had me nervous as a cat in a doghouse. My mind was elsewhere when I radioed a Code 51 for a short break and stepped out of the truck. Even though I was distracted, I still noticed there were three vehicles parked in front of the store and two more in the bays getting gas. Old habits. 
Two long-haired bearded men in jeans and untucked shirts were standing beside a faded white Ford LTD, talking and drinking Cokes as their tank filled. Two gas bays over was a black-haired slender guy behind the wheel of a brand-new 1990 Cutlass sedan with California plates, likely waiting for someone to pay the cashier in order to start the pump. Or like me, someone getting coffee. I thought about a donut too, but I resisted the urge to play into the stereotype. I opened the glass door and stepped right into an armed robbery. Oh, hell. Millions of synapses fired as I processed an average-looking guy with a big nose and an even bigger revolver, who was obviously a tweaker jacked up on meth. He had a terrified young woman, folded over the counter with his left hand full of hair that was twisted up on the back of her neck. He was screaming like a banshee at the wide-eyed female cashier to hurry up and open the register. The middle-aged black woman behind the counter, full of impulse buys, was frozen in fear. Her hand shot so straight up in the air it would have been humorous in a television sitcom. A second tweaker, with a face full of the typical sores and pimples from all the chemicals he sucked into his lungs, was rounding the corner as I stepped inside. He charged the terrified cashier with still another big revolver stiff-armed out in front of him like a sword. Those guys obviously thought size mattered. Give me that money, and don't you hit no damned alarms! There was no way I could call for backup, because things went sideways in a hurry. My first instinct was to run like a striped-ass baboon, but the oath I took and the badge on my shirt wouldn't let me. I was committed to stop this, whether I wanted to or not. All that registered in an instant as my hand gripped the butt of the Beretta M9 in my holster. It came level with the ease of practice, and I lined up the sights on the tweaker holding the crying girl. Drop it now, or I'll shoot you where you stand. I'll have to give it to Greasy Hair. He was fast on his feet. Probably knowing his buddy, the walking zombie, had his back, Greasy Hair yanked the young woman upright, spun her around to put her between us. He jammed the six-inch muzzle against the back of her head. Stop there, or I'll blow her head off. Over the hostage's cries and his shouts, I registered the distinct click of the hammer as he thumbed it back. From the corner of my eye, I saw Zombie slam the barrel of his pistol on top of the clerk's head. The poor woman disappeared as her knees collapsed. That move worked in my favor. I wouldn't have two hostages to deal with. Zombie pointed his gun at me and dug around in the cash drawer with his left hand. He'd just become target number two. The hammer on the Beretta was already back. An unconscious move on my part. That simple act lessens the tension on the trigger, making the first shot smoother and easier. I looked greasy hair in the eye and had something happen that I'd only experienced once in my life. I was a kid at the Mesquite Rodeo, watching the action from the stadium seats when I looked across the arena and saw a girl I'd been wanting to ask out. When I saw my future wife that night, I had the sensation of tunnel vision and mentally zoomed in on her, forgetting the people there and especially the guy with her. That same sensation returned in the convenience store. It was as if I were looking down a telescope, blocking out everything around greasy hair except for his forehead. That's what I fixated on. All through my life I've been impulsive, and sometimes it paid off. Other times, those impulses bollocks things up. I need to stop him right then, and that forehead was the way to do it. This time, my impulsiveness worked in my favor. I didn't feel the trigger break or even realize I'd pulled the trigger, until a red hole appeared above Greasy Hare's big nose. His head snapped back as a gout of gray matter and blood exploded from the back of his skull. His hostage shrieked and dropped to the floor. The report shocked target number two, Zombie, who saw his buddy die in such a graphic way. 
I swung left again, lined up the sights, and saw the culvert-sized muzzle of what I took to be a 44 Magnum rising to my center mass. Three more cracks of thunder erupted from the Beretta. The slugs caught him in the chest. Already dead, his corpse stiffened and toppled sideways. A sledgehammer hit me in the side, and I went down, instinctively knowing I'd been shot. The impact knocked the breath out of me, but I twisted to look down the gum and snack aisle. Why I registered the contents of those shelves, I'll never know. There was a third tweaker I'd missed, and he had a sawed-off shotgun held at waist level. The only thing that saved me was my vest and the size of the shot he'd loaded into the little 20-gauge. Still not wanting to get hit with another load of shot from an even closer range, and still on my side, I raised the semi-automatic with both hands. The Beretta roared until the slide locked back. The stream of 9mm rounds punched half a dozen holes in the guy who fell at the same time the cooler's doors behind him collapsed in a waterfall of glass. Self-preservation and a good squirt of adrenaline gave me the impetus to thumb the empty magazine from the butt and slap a fresh one home. Blood poured from the right side of my head and my right arm, but it still worked for the moment. My thumb sent the slide forward at the same time gunshots from the parking lot shattered the entrance doors, and rounds buzzed over me like angry insects. Damn it, those guys I saw outside. This is like slapping a yellow jacket nest. They're coming from everywhere. The guy from the cutlass was standing just off the sidewalk 15 feet away and aiming a nickel semi-automatic at me with both hands. My gun rose, and half a second before I could fire, a burst of gunfire from two different weapons hammered my already cotton-filled ears. The ventilated driver dropped to the concrete like someone had pitched him out of an airplane. Somehow, this pistol came up again, and the gunfire continued as even more bullets plucked at the dead man's clothes. A couple of shots missed and pitted the concrete in tiny clouds of dust. The two bearded men rushed forward, guns in hand, shouting beautiful words. Narcotic agents! Police! We're the police! I thought the thing was over. Suddenly, exhausted, I reached up to feel a hole in the side of my head and warm blood. Laying back on the floor, I stared at the ceiling and heard a commotion behind the counter. Hey, stop! It was all I could do to turn my head and see the young woman who'd been held hostage slam a fist into the side of the sales clerk who fell back out of sight a second time. That gal hadn't been a hostage. She was part of the robbery, playing the part to force the clerk to open the cash register. The register drawer rattled as she snatched the cash. She vaulted the counter a second later and sprinted for the door. Glass crunched under her tennis shoes, and I had just enough strength to reach out and catch her foot as she passed. She yelped and fell face forward, sliding to a stop against the doorframe. Cash fanned out as she used both her hands to catch herself. One of the narcotics officers rushed forward, and the last thing I saw and heard was him flipping her over as she made a rude reference to his mother. Then, blackness. The old man watched my eyes as the events came flooding back. So you remember, son? I do now. A jolt of pain shot and made me grunt when I raised my hand to feel the thick bandage. Am I hurt bad? Nah. Lots of holes in your arm and side from those size six pellets. But it was two of those pellets that cracked the side of your skull that had us all worried. But they say you'll be fine. Be glad he wasn't using number four buck. I swallowed again and studied the ceiling, thinking of my close call. Who were those two that bailed me out? At first I thought they were the bad guys. Undercover narcotics agents by the name of Tucker and Harley Snow. 
Brothers? That was unheard of. The only way brothers could work together was through special dispensation from the governor. Brothers, all right. They dropped a prisoner off at the Garland Jail and were on the way back to downtown Dallas when they had to stop for gas. They were in the right place at the right time. I need to thank them. What about the girl? The old man chuckled. Believe it or not, they were out of L.A., stole that Cutlass Supreme and hightailed it out of California. Seems like they owed a bunch of gangsters a lot of money for drugs, and the damnedest thing about this whole deal is that she was the ringleader of the whole shebang. Her rap sheet's a mile long. Everything from armed robbery, murder charges, drug charges, and prostitution. I reckon she'll spend some time down in Huntsville. I paused, thinking. The drugs still weren't letting go, and I felt myself drifting. Well, damn. What? If I've been out for three days, I missed my interview with the rangers. My head swam, and I felt that deep, dark well pulling at me. My eyelids grew heavy. My dad, former ranger Herman Hawk, grinned. Your interview went just fine. I fought back to the surface. How could that be? Well, son... While you were laid up in La La Land, Major Chase Parker heard about your little incident. I ought not to tell you this and let somebody else do it, but since I'm your daddy and all and you're going to agree that you haven't heard anything, there's something I've been busting to tell you. I closed my eyes, expecting to hear that I'd be a state trooper until retirement. Major Parker was the commander of the Texas Rangers, and if he decided to pull the plug on my application, there was nothing I could do about it. They're giving you the DPS Medal of Valor, and Public Safety Director Rick Easterwood is putting you up for the IACP Police Officer of the Year Award. I imagine you'll get that one, too. With all that recognition, Major Parker decided they'll waive the oral part of your application and give you that Ranger badge you've been wanting. He built that crooked grin of his and nodded. Congratulations. In a few days, you can tell folks that you're a Ranger. Those words echoed in my head as I slipped back into peaceful darkness for a nice long rest. Sonny Hawk, Texas Ranger. This reading of A Confluence in Time was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about Revis Z. Wortham on his website, revisztwortham.com. If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Even a dollar a month can make a difference and you'll get some fun rewards. We also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you don't miss a single episode and subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it as this helps make us easier to find for others. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.